The views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or CUBIST, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the TBI Center of Excellence, or TBI-COE. I'm your host, Amanda Gano. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Donald Marion, a neurosurgeon and TBI subject matter expert at TBI-COE. Don and I will discuss a study entitled Characterizing Changes in Network Connectivity Following Chronic Head Trauma in Special Forces Military Personnel, a Combined Resting FMRI and DTI Study, by Alan Champagne and colleagues, and published in the journal Brain Injury in April 2021. Hi, Don. Thanks for bringing this article to our attention. So what is this study about? Hi, Amanda. Uh, The investigators in the study were interested in the effects of low-level blast exposure on the function and the integrity of neuronal connections within the brain. Special operations forces are often exposed to low-level blast from high-caliber sniper rifles and from breaching. And sophisticated medical imaging techniques now exist that can reliably assess functional connectivity and white matter integrity. Understanding the relationship between functional and structural changes in brain connectivity could help to better determine the effect of multiple exposures to subconcussive brain injury in the military. So this is a pretty relevant study. In this study, the functional and structural brain connections were studied in a small group of Canadian Special Operations Forces, or CANSOF, using resting state functional MRI, or RSFM. MRI and diffusion tensor imaging, or DTI, in order to correlate abnormalities and function with damage to connections between nodes of cortical neurons. That sounds really interesting, Don. Um, can you briefly just describe how resting state fMRI and DTI work? Good question, Amanda. And, and I have to admit, in, unless you're a radiologist, I think a lot of people don't clearly understand how these two uh, types of imaging procedures work. So resting state functional MRI measures the metabolic activity of clusters of neurons or nodes at the time of rest when there is no apparent motor or cognitive activity. The MRI can detect changes in the hemoglobin oxygen saturation level for blood circulating throughout the brain and create a map of local differences. Theoretically, areas with high oxygen saturation have relatively low metabolic activity, while those areas with low saturation have higher metabolic activity because the cells are active and they're uh, removing oxygen or requiring much more oxygen uh, that they remove from the blood. This technique is called blood oxygen level dependent or BOLD-based resting state fMRI. For this study, a cortical area with low hemoglobin oxygen saturation was considered to have high functional connectivity strength, or FCS. So FCS is going to be this marker that we're going to look at in terms of the metabolic activity. And an area with high oxygen saturation was considered to have low FCS, and the average FCS in different clusters of neurons and the control subjects was considered normal. And significant differences in the FCS in CANSOF operators was considered abnormal. 
Diffusion tensor imaging detects microstructural damage to axons by determining if the fluid in the axon is properly confined within the healthy axon sheath, or anisotropic, or has diffused freely through a damaged axonal wall or is isotropic. A decrease in fractional anisotropy, or FA, or increase in mean diffusivity, or MD, are considered indicative of axonal damage. Thanks for explaining that, Don. I think that's really helpful for our listeners. So how was this study done? 15 male Canadian Special Operations Forces snipers and breachers that had a history of exposure to repetitive head trauma were enrolled. 15 age and sex-matched controls, presumably civilians, were recruited to undergo the same imaging protocol, and none had reported any history of exposure to subconcussive impacts or to traumatic brain injury. All participants completed the symptom assessment portions of the SCAT-3 and the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, or MOCA. Following these assessments, each subject underwent resting state functional MRI and DTI. For the resting state fMRI studies, five functionally independent resting state networks were isolated, and those included the default mode network, the somatomotor network, dorsal attention network, ventral attention network, and the visual network. And the functional connectivity strength, or FCS, for each network was calculated. Okay, so what did they find? I knew you were going to ask that. Um, <laughs> the service members were all career military and had served for an average of 19 years with a total time of self-reported exposure to repetitive head trauma of approximately 10 years. They had had an average of two concussions, though none reported loss of consciousness at the time of the concussion. Compared with controls, service members reported a significantly greater number of SCAT-3 symptoms. The primary resting state fMRI finding was that altered distance-based functional connectivity, both hyper- and hypoconnectivity, was observed in Kansoff military personnel with and without self-reported history of mild traumatic brain injury, as compared to the controls. The resting state fMRI studies revealed significant changes in short and long functional connectivity strength or FCS, differences spread across the gray matter. Analysis of the long-range FCS maps revealed two clusters showing significant differences in functional connectivity. Specifically, these were located within the left middle occipital gyrus, or cluster A, and the left superior frontal gyrus in Broadman Area 9, or cluster B. The two FCS clusters showed opposite trends with respect to connectivity differences between the groups. In one, high FCS was observed in the controls compared to the CANSOF operators. Contrarily, significantly higher long FCS was observed in CANSOF operators for other clusters relative to the controls. No significant differences in mean diffusivity were identified for the structural network connecting long FCS in the first cluster to its functional region of interest. However, compared with the controls, there was a significant increase in the average mean diffusivity within the left cingulate gyrus connecting the second FCS cluster to its distance-based functional region of interest. And you'll recall, this is the second long FCS cluster that had the higher FCS level or suggesting a greater metabolic activity. So this is a little bit confusing because here you have this 
long FCS cluster with higher metabolic activity, and yet this is the one that has the evidence of damage to the white matter with the increase in the average mean diffusivity on DTI. So with damage to the fiber tract connecting the cortical nodes, one might have expected a low FCS, that is low metabolic activity. But instead, the authors found high FCS, suggesting higher metabolic activity, and their conclusion from this was that the neurons in this long FCS cluster that had damaged connections had to work overtime or had to increase their metabolic activity to overcome damage to their connections caused presumably by low-level blast. Finally, there was no significant relationship identified for total years of exposure to repetitive head trauma or history of reported head injuries and functional connectivity or median diffusivity. That's really interesting, Don. I know it's really complicated, but I think you did a really good job of explaining to the listeners. So what were the limitations of this study? Probably the most important limitation is the relatively small number of Kansoff subjects. I've been involved in studies myself in the past with functional MRI, and I can tell you, Amanda, that the findings are pretty subtle. And uh, so the more subjects you can include, the more reliable your findings. A second limitation was that there was really no objective measure of the service member's exposure to low-level blast. For the purposes of this study, their exposure to repetitive head trauma was based solely on self-reported years of training in settings where they were breaching or operating sniper rifles. This study, I think, would have been strengthened by having data from blast gauges, for example. Yeah, I agree with that. So what are the key takeaways for providers that are listening? Um, Sure. So while decreases in FCS uh, or metabolism were not associated with changes in white matter integrity, increases in long-range FCS or, again, metabolism did show structural alterations within the tract connecting the seed neuronal nodes to its distance-based functional region of interest. In some cases, at least, increased FCS may reflect compensatory neural recruitment within the brain that works to maintain cognitive function in response to the altered structural integrity of the white matter tracts that may have been damaged by low-level blast. DTI findings suggest that axonal injury may explain the loss of white matter integrity along the neuronal tract. Said in another way, Amanda, increased metabolic activity of certain networks in the brains of Kansoff members may be interpreted as impairments within the neuronal connectivity of cortical functional hubs across the brain. From a practical clinical standpoint, this could result in a heightened vulnerability to repetitive subconcussive trauma to the head sustained over the course of high exposure operations associated with sniper and or breacher-specific training and duties. But clearly, more studies need to be done to confirm or refute this suggestion, and I would say that especially, again, going back to the limitation of only 15 subjects. We need to have quite a few more. Yeah, that's really important to keep in mind. Okay, well, thank you, Don. That's all we have time for today. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discuss and other relevant resources. Cubist is produced and edited by Vinnie White and was hosted today by me, Amanda Gano. 
It is a product of the Traumatic Brain Injury Center of Excellence, a division of the Research and Development Directorate, J9, of the Defense Health Agency, and led by Division Chief Captain Scott Coda, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode.